from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Lord, break open these ancient texts afresh for us so that in our hearing and in our reflection on your word, we may be encouraged, equipped, and challenged to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been around this summer, you know that we spent the majority of the summer walking through the first and second books of Samuel. We concluded that series last week, and today we launch a new one, a six-week sermon series that we are calling, What Now? Being the Church in Liminal Space. What Now? Being the Church in Liminal Space. As we uh, tee it up this morning, I'd like to offer a few words about what we all can expect out of this series. And to do that, I want to begin by defining a key term that's important to know that'll help us understand the arc and trajectory of this series. And the word is liminal. The word is liminal, and it's found in the series title itself. What does it mean to be the church in liminal space? And this word liminal, uh, finds its origin within the discipline of anthropology. It comes from a Latin word that can be translated as threshold or border. Social scientists first began using this uh, term to describe the time or the space or the experience one goes through between customs, between two rituals, between two rites of, of passage. For example, in our own community of faith here at First Presbyterian Church, we have uh, the ritual of baptism. We also have the ritual of, of confirmation. We saw baptisms last week, and, and we are launching a new confirmation class this very month. Well, in infant baptism, uh, a child is welcomed into the family of faith. And, and what the community does, what we do in that sacrament, is we declare... God's claim on that child, we also vow and promise to do everything within our power to support that child and to support that family in raising the child within our life of faith. Then about 14 years go by when another ritual, when another custom is engaged. Usually the child, now an adolescent, uh, engages this during their ninth grade year. They begin what we call the confirmation process. And in that ritual, the young person makes a decision as to whether or not to affirm the promises that were made the day of their baptism. That they will decide whether or not they will, with their own lips and their own heart, profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and become a member of the church with all its responsibilities and privileges. The space between those 14 years between baptism and confirmation is what we could call a liminal space. It's a border space. It's, it's a space between. And to be specific with this image, uh, with baptism and confirmation, 
In that space, the child or, or adolescent stands on the border or on the threshold between the previous way of being a part of this church where somebody else was speaking on their behalf, where somebody else was speaking their faith for them. They're past that stage, but they're not quite at that stage where they're ready to profess their own faith, to speak it for themselves. That is liminal space. That's the space between. The space between identity, the space between practice, the space from moving from one reality to another reality. Now this concept of, of liminality uh, has expanded beyond the sphere of anthropology and it's, it's quite often used in other disciplines, other social sciences, uh, it's used in theology, it's used in, in politics. And when it's used, we often use it to talk about the border spaces, the, the times of transition that we find ourselves in. We're, we're between two eras, we're between two seasons of life, that we are in this um, uncertain, perhaps, space. And, and liminal space can be uncertain, liminal space can be ambiguous, liminal space can be disorienting. We're moving between one thing and another. But even so, liminal space can be a time of self-discovery. Liminal space can be a, a time of self-understanding. It can be a time to reorient our lives, even though we are in between time. It can help us form new habits and, and new understandings and, and new routines. I say all of this because I believe that we in a very general way, exists right now in a liminal space. Our, our experience of life in many ways is an experience in liminality. It's a border time. It's a threshold time, the space between, right? We're, we're in the space between COVID, right? Being something that we thought we were gonna emerge out of, that we were gonna be past it, and yet, we're not quite through it. We're still in this space between. We've begun a new school year and many of us have returned to work, but, but it still feels a lot different than it did before. For some of us, it feels like we are back to normal somewhat, but not entirely. And then we drill down a little bit and, and, and I wanna do this for the rest of the sermon. I really wanna think about our own church. I want to think about our own community of faith because in so many ways, it feels like we're living in liminality. In so many ways, our church life, our faith life, seems like we are existing in this space between, right? The way we have traditionally marked time, the way we have marked milestones is still not back to where it was. This was our Sunday school kickoff for children and it looked and felt a lot different than in years past. Truth be told, we've only seen about 50% of our congregation returned to any sort of in-person worship on a regular basis. And that's not a cri criticism in any way, shape, or form. People are doing the best they can remotely and in, and in person. But that's just a reality of our faith and our life together, that only 50% of our congregation has returned in person. One thing I'm also keenly aware of, and maybe this is something I'm more aware of than anything else when it comes to liminality, is the fact that we have lost so many leaders 
and so many saints in the life of our church over the past 15 months. I mean, this is something our pastoral staff, we, we think about quite often. And it's not necessarily they died from COVID, but they died during COVID. And we haven't been able to grieve and we haven't been able to say goodbye. And I often wonder, what kind of church are we going to be now that all these leaders have entered their eternal rest? What does it mean that they're not in these pews anymore or in these committee meetings or, or leading on the front lines of community ministry or, or mission or philanthropy and generosity? What does that mean for us? And it feels like without them, we are in this space between. We've also had a ton of people join us via our broadcast ministries. Our, our broadcast ministries have exponentially grown, obviously, during the pandemic, and they remain uh, strong in these times. Uh, and many people have, have come to find a church home uh, through the Internet and through broadcast ministries. And, and, and I struggle with how do we help them feel connected? How do we help them feel at home or more a part of things when we've never even met? Couple that with a bunch of new members that have actually joined through COVID without ever having stepped foot on this campus. Some of them have never even been here but joined via Zoom when we offered new members classes. What does it mean to be the church when we haven't even been together? When we don't know each other's name? It feels like we are in this space between. What is more, there are people, sadly, who are going to choose to walk away from the church in this time whether it's precipitated by COVID or something that's going on in their own life, that they're gonna disengage and we'll have people that will disengage. That happens, especially in times of liminality, especially in times of transition. Who are we then? With all of this, right? I think it's safe to say that we are a very different church in August of 2021 than we were in March of 2020. And the challenge is, I don't really appreciate or understand how different we really are. I don't quite know yet what life is going to look like with all of these changes and all of this ambiguity and all of this uncertainty that I, that I just named. And so naturally, I'm asking the question, and perhaps you're asking the question, what now? I mean, what do we do now in this in this space between, how do we live and practice faith? How do we be a church, continue to be a church in this time of liminality? Uh, in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, Archbishop Desmond Tutu opens uh, that volume with, uh, with a personal account of what took place on April 27th, 1994. That was the day that he and other black South Africans who were historically disenfranchised were allowed to vote, vote for the very first time in a democratic election. He, he wrote that this is the day for which we had waited all these many long years, the day for which the struggle against apartheid had been waged, for which so many of our people had been tear gassed, bitten by police dogs, struck with batons, for which many more had been detained, tortured, and banned, for which others had been imprisoned, sentenced to death, for which others had gone into exile, the day had finally dawned that we could vote. Just as an aside, it's hard to believe that was just in 1994. 
And so you might wonder, what did Archbishop Tutu do on that day? It was a day of liminality, wasn't it? A day where an old world was dying and a new world was about to be born, but it was still a space between. How did he begin this day of transition? How did he face the moment, this day of ambiguity, this day of promise, this day of trepidation and fear? They didn't know what was going to meet them at the polls. Would violence meet them at the polls? This day that they were on the threshold, that they were on the precipice of so much change, of a new nation being born right in that very hour. What did he do on that day? Well, as he describes it, he began the day the same way he began every other day. He got up early in the morning before the sun rose, and he prayed, and he meditated and had his morning devotion, and then he went for his regular walk. And then when he got back, he went to church and celebrated communion and receive the Eucharist. And friends, I am struck by that fact. It's quite compelling to me that in the space between, in this liminal existence, in that single day, he leaned into the habits that shaped his identity, that he leaned into what shaped his faith, that he leaned into what shaped his very existence and his life. He did the basic and he did the ordinary, which was the thing that he needed to do. It was the vital thing that he was accustomed to doing. I think there are many things we can learn from Archbishop Tutu, but this thing we can learn in particular, that what if in liminal time or liminal space, on the threshold, on the border, the space between what if we chose to do the ordinary? What if we chose to do what is routine or what ought to be familiar to us? What if we learn to double down on that which makes us who we are as a church? Not thinking individually, I'm thinking specifically about our community. When we ask the question, what now? Perhaps part of the answer is found in the routines and habits of our faith and our life together that we do the simple thing, which is actually the vital thing in these in-between times. I think this sermon series does well as we take a cue from Desmond Tutu, that we're going to do well as we think about these in-between times, that we would lean into our core values. You know, each and every week we, we print them on the back cover of the of the bulletin below our mission statement. We want to always keep them in, in front of us. We've had sermon series on them before, but especially in these days, I have felt the Spirit leading us to a time of reflection on some of these values. As we ask the question, what now, in this in-between time, what should we do? Who should we be as a church? And I believe that we ought to go back to the basics that we go to our values and remind one another who we are and how we're grounded in this community and how as we practice faith and life together. So what I want to do briefly now, just with the, the time that I have left, is I want to get into the, to the series. I just did all the prolegomena. I did all the foreword, the, the preamble of the series to understand the arc and the trajectory of where we're going. But now I want to say something about 
one of the values that we have as part of the core values of our church. It's actually the first value listed on the back of the bulletin, and it's the value of, of spiritual home. That we are a church that values cultivating and fostering a community where people belong for a lifetime of faith. When we talk about spiritual home, that's what we're talking about, where, where people can belong for a lifetime of faith. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there are at least three vital qualities, three vital characteristics of any church, of any community of faith, of any church family that, that compels and attracts others to make their home in that community. I think there are at least three characteristics that we need to be reminded of that helps facilitate and attract people in such a way that they say, yes, that's where I want to put down my roots. That's where I want to belong for a lifetime of faith. And the first quality of a church or church family that makes people want to put down roots and, and wants to make it their spiritual home, I think is their honesty and transparency about how desperate we are in our longing for God. I think that is one of the first things that we ought to do when we're thinking about cultivating a spiritual home is that we acknowledge and are attuned to people's deep desire to know God and to be known by God, right? Borrowing a page from St. Augustine who said, every human being enters this world with a God-shaped void in their heart and it can only be filled by the presence and love of God. We know what it's like to try to fill that void, don't we? With other things. And often we're left unsatisfied because it's only been meant to be filled by the very presence of God. Psalm 84, I think, the text that Chris read for us this morning, taps into that desire and names it. Did you hear the desire in the, in the psalmist writing? My soul longs, indeed, faints for the courts of the Lord. My soul longs to be in the presence of God, to know God, to be known by God. Friends, I think that a church community that's in tune to and names the longing that people have, the longing that people have, not for more church uh, programs, not for uh, preaching per se, not, not for mission or community outreach, but, but a longing on a deeper level for the knowledge of God and to be known by God. I think that kind of community is compelling. I think that kind of community is where people really do want to put down their roots. What is more, that community, I think it's important to note, that community uh, usually is more concerned about people finding a home with God than making a member out of them. They're more concerned with people finding a home with God than making a member out of them or getting into their wallets or getting them on a committee. They're concerned with the individual's relationship with God. I've, I've long shared and I've led on the idea, even back when Austin was an intern, I used to say it all the time, that we want to lead on the idea that if we are not a church helping you connect with God, that we want to find a church for you to connect to. Because that's the most important thing. It's not the membership roles. It's that we facilitate and exp 
experience that can last a lifetime where people can really know God and be known by God. If we are that kind of spiritual home, people will put down roots and will be a part of it for a lifetime of faith. The second quality of a church family that, that makes people want to put down roots and, and makes them want to make it their spiritual home is, is a deep and abiding sense that they really do belong. That when, when churches talk about belonging, that it's not just lip service, that they actually feel like they belong I want to turn our attention to the prodigal son parable. This, this child, uh, this, this prodigal, is, is really in a liminal space as he finds himself in pig slop, right? He's in this space between as he longs to fill his belly uh, with the pods and the seeds that the pigs are eating. And he begins to wonder, do I still have a place in my father's house? Do, do I still belong there? And perhaps we have asked that question too when it comes to the church or when it's come to the community of faith. I don't take for granted that even if you're participating here in worship in person or, or, or remotely that, that you have asked the question, do I really belong to that church? Do I really belong to that community? Perhaps we've been burned. Perhaps we've been disenfranchised because uh, churches are made up of people and people, as we mentioned last week, are sinful. And we wonder, is this a home where I can really belong? Of course, in the, in the parable, we know that the prodigal is welcomed home, and he's welcomed home solely on the, the, the grace of, of the Father, and, and we parallel that to the grace of Jesus Christ, right? We talk about this in sermons and in Bible studies in our prayer life when we read this text, that the Father is Jesus welcoming, him, welcoming us in. But there is another level to this parable for the sake of interpretation, and that's this, that we as a church are also called to be like the Father, that, that we're called to welcome people home, even when they've squandered all of their resources, even when famines hit, even when nobody will give them anything to eat, that we are the community that sets the table, that we are a community where you can really belong, where it's not just lip service, where you can find a home. The final quality of a church family that makes people want to put down roots, I think, is, is the kind of church that, that orients our living with relevance and purpose outside of this corner, outside of this space. That the church as our spiritual home helps orient how we live in this world. There's a well-traveled story told by author Anne Lamott, uh, told of a little girl that got lost in her, her hometown. She kind of wandered out of her neighborhood and began to travel down streets she didn't recognize, and she was seriously lost. She began to cry, and a police officer came by and, and saw her standing there crying, looking around, and, and he asked, are you lost? And she said, yes, I, I can't find my way home. And she, he said, well, what's your address? And she said, I don't know it. And so he invited her into the front seat of his patrol car, and they began to drive around the town. And she was desperately looking for landmarks. She was looking for something she could identify that would help her get home. And all of a sudden, she turned uh, the corner and she saw uh, her church. She saw her church and she said, stop, stop right here, right here at the church. And the police officer said, do you live here at the church? And she said, no, I don't live at the church. He said, well, you, you don't live here. We should keep looking. He, she said, no, let's stop here. Let me out. 
because I know my way home from the church. I know how to get home from the church. And I think that is an aspiration we all long for, right? That, that there is a sort of relevance in our faith and our life together, right? And I don't mean like, hey, we're the cool kids, kind of cool church relevance. That's not what I mean. I mean the kind of relevance that says, yes, I know how to orient my life and align my life to the will of God, align my life to the gifts that God has called me to steward, to the purposes God has called on my life. A, a church that does that, a church that helps people orient themselves to the world and to God's mission for it is a church that people want to connect to. It's a church where people will put down roots. So in these days of liminality, friends, in these days of being in the space between, right, in the border, in the threshold, in so many different ways, my hope and prayer is that we would be a church that genuinely helps people know that God loves them and that their deep longings can be satisfied with a relationship with the living God. That we would be a church that graciously welcomes all people the way that Christ welcomes us. No matter if there's a famine, no matter if they've been unwelcome somewhere else, no matter if they squandered everything in dissolute living. And finally, that we would be a church that helps orient our lives to something greater than ourselves, to the very purposes and mission of God so that we know how to walk in this world. Friends, I'm convinced if we lean into, those value, into that value and practice this idea of, of spiritual home, that we will be a church that people will want to put their anchor down in, that people will want to call home for a lifetime of faith. May it be so for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. Amen.